just want to remind you about uh, the prayer vigil. We have just about completed one week and uh, a lot of good things that are coming out of that. Uh, you had a chance to spend an hour or so in the prayer room. I hope that you've had a, a positive experience with that. And we have two more weeks. If you'd like to sign up, uh, you can do that anytime online or at the lower foyer also. We have sign-ups available. I also uh, neglected to mention last week, congratulations to Peter and Joanna Bates at the birth of their son, James Stanton, uh, about a week or so ago, and we congratulate them. I was thinking about, uh, you know, little babies and, you know, how sensitive their hearing is. Uh, we have a little one, you know, grandchild, and is our home a lot, and he seems to hear every little noise, every little thing. You know, you're trying to be so quiet, particularly sleeping, when he's sleeping. Not when I'm sleeping, but when he's sleeping. And, uh, and you know, you hear all those noises, you hear it all. And it made me realize, it stopped me thinking about, you know, just how different my hearing is now than it has it was 10 years ago even. Maybe you have that same experience. You know, it's one of the things about getting older is your body begins to deteriorate a little bit. Eyesight maybe not quite as good as it once was. And often it, it affects our hearing. Cindy and I could be in a store standing next to each other, hear every word she says. As soon as she turns and walks away from me and she's talking, I cannot hear a word she says. And she turns back to me and said, what do you think? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I didn't hear, I couldn't, I hear mumbling, but I have no, I can't interpret it. And, you, and you, you probably have a sense of just, you know, that kind of idea. And I've been thinking about that lately, about hearing lately, because as I've been thinking about John 11, I think there's, there's a way in which this story is really focused on hearing. The idea of hearing is significant to uh, what we find in this story. Hearing is common, a common word. To hear is a common word in scriptures. It, it, it typically, in the, in the New Testament, this word, Greek word, akuo, is the primary word that's used. And it, it means to be able to hear noises as opposed to being deaf. But it also means to perceive, to understand, pay attention. You know, it's that kind of thing when you say something to someone, do you hear me? What you're really not looking for is not, yeah, the, I heard the sound go into my ears. But it's, do you understand me? Do you get what I'm saying? Do you respond to that? And in the story, we have this idea of hearing. Most of the time, when we, in the scriptures, when, we, when the word hear to hear is used in the Old and New Testaments, you, it is human beings hearing God. So you have Moses standing in front of the burning bush. And God says, Moses, hear what I have to say to you. You have Isaiah in the temple in chapter 6, and, he, and God appears to him, and he says, listen to what I have to say. Samuel, a little boy in the tabernacle, working with the priests, and, and God wakes him up at night, and he runs to Eli, thinking that Eli has called him. And finally, Eli says, look, I think the Lord is speaking to you. So when he, next time you hear that, you say, here I am, Lord, your servant's listening. And he does. I hear you. And for the Jewish people, perhaps the most significant passage of Scripture about hearing is in Deuteronomy 6. That's called the Shema because the Hebrew word Shema means to hear. And God says to them, hear, O Israel. Listen, O Israel. Here's who I am. And here's what you need to be. 
And it becomes the foundational rock of who they are as a people. And we see that kind of hearing all throughout Scripture of God calling to people and, and saying, listen to me, hear me. And that hearing is not just there's noise coming into my ears and I perceive that, but it's hear and do something about it. And so God, and so he says to Moses, you know, hear what I have to say and then go to Egypt. He says to Isaiah, hear what I have to say and preach this hard word to the people. And Israel, hear who I am, and follow me. But in this story in John 11, Jesus turns the whole hearing thing on its ear. As the story opens, one of his closest friends, Lazarus, is near the point of death. And Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, send word to Jesus, come quickly. This one you love, this, this close friend of yours, is dying, and we need your help. And I think their full expectation is Jesus will come and heal him. And surprisingly, Jesus doesn't go. He says, I think we should stay here a couple more days. Even though Jesus loves him, he says, I think we should stay. And a couple days later, he says to his disciples, okay, now it's time to go. And they go to Bethany and they find that Lazarus is dead and he's been dead four days. And Martha comes out. And, you know, makes that sort of polite accusation. Lord, if you had been here. And then Mary comes out and says, Lord, if you had been here. And I understand that. Have you ever said to God, Lord, if you had done something. If you had acted. You could have prevented this. You could have made this happen. It's a common part of our conversation with God. You could do this and you didn't. I understand completely what Mary and Martha are saying. And actually the rest of the people who are mourning with them, once Jesus begins to weep, they say, wow, look how much he loved him. And then they're saying, yeah, but he should have come earlier and done something about this. And then Jesus prays. Actually, he doesn't pray. He actually speaks to the Father, but it's really not a prayer. It's an affirmation. Father, thank you. For hearing my prayer. Thank you that you always hear me when I pray. And what Jesus does is turn the whole dynamic of what is primarily the word, the usage of the word to hear in Scripture from humans hearing God to God hearing humans. And Jesus says, Father, you always hear me. Now, I get that. Jesus is perfect. He, he, he and the Father's relationship is, has no bumps in it. There, there are no messed up wires in it. It is perfect. He does everything the Father asks him, when he asks him, and whatever he's calling him to do, even to go to the cross. Their relationship is perfect. There's not been one time in which Jesus has said no to the Father. So, of course, the Father's going to hear his prayer. Jesus deserves it question in my mind is, what about the rest of us who don't deserve it? What about the rest of us who don't have that kind of relationship with the Father, who aren't perfect, who say no to God, sometimes on a fairly regular basis? What about us? Does God hear our prayers? Can we say with Jesus, thank you for hearing me. Thank you that you always hear me. 
Can we pray that kind of prayer? Do we have that kind of confidence, that kind of affirmation in who God is about our prayers? I think it's a legitimate question. And I think what's underneath it and the problem with that question and with that with our struggle with that is that because we wrestle with the fact that of whether God hears us or not, it affects how we pray. See, we think God has selective hearing. And the reason we think that is because we do, right? We have selective hearing with God and we have selective hearing with each other. Most of my life, I've been accused of having selective hearing. You know, it's one of the things that drove my parents crazy. I, 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 to this day, I can only remember one time as a child when I was punished. Only one time as a child when I was punished for something I didn't deserve. I had you there for a second, didn't I? You thought, you were thinking, man, he was a really good kid. Not at all. No, no. There were lots of times I was punished. But I can remember one time when I didn't deserve it. I was out playing ball or something, and my father called me to come home, and I did not hear him, and so I didn't come home. And so he had to come get me. That's never a good thing. You know, you, you, you understand what I'm talking about. And, and the reason he didn't believe that I didn't hear him is because I had lived all my life up to that point with selective hearing. And lots of times where I heard him, and I just didn't do it. Or I, I, you know, I just closed them out. I closed my parents out. I didn't want to hear what they had to say. And so thinking, of course, this is another one of those moments. We have selective hearing. And because we do, we think God does. And that affects how we pray. And what ends up happening, Scripture tells us, when we think God has selective hearing, we pray like pagans. The whole point of pagan praying is that they believe their gods will not intentionally and naturally hear them. Because pagan gods don't care a thing about human beings. The only interaction they have with human beings is because they have to, or because they're manipulated into it, or because they, human beings have, have uh, made them feel important enough that they'll... And I think that's what's happening. It's happening in 1 Kings 18 that we read of this, this sacrificial duel between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And so Elijah says, you go first. And they start crying out to their God. And Elijah starts taunting them. You know, Elijah's kind of an interesting guy. You know, he, he starts taunting them. You know, and, and the, a lot of the translations sort of clean up some of the language here. But, you know, one of the things he says to them is, you know, maybe you yell louder because maybe your God's sleeping. Or maybe your God is relieving himself. I mean, he, he is taunting them, and they, don't, they just keep buying into it. They yell louder, and they scream louder, and they, try to, they do all these things to try to get their God's attention. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, you all wrestle with doing that too. It might not look the same, but there is a human struggle that we do that. Because Jesus says in Matthew 6, there are two problems that we have with prayer. One is, we think prayer is something that will make us look good in other people's eyes. But the other problem is... We think God doesn't hear us unless we convince him to hear us. His words are, don't keep babbling like pagans who think they'll be heard because of their many words. Or another way to translate that is, don't keep babbling like pagans who think they will be heard because they keep piling up word after word after word after word. And I think as I mentioned last week, it's this idea of you have, a, you have a somebody in authority in front of you and you spend five minutes telling them how awesome they are so that when you get to your request, they will be much more inclined to think positively toward it. 
And Jesus says, that's not how your father works. In Matthew 6, he says, your father already knows what you need before you ask him. He is listening to you before you even attempt to get his attention. As a friend of mine says, if you're making an appointment with God to get together for coffee, he always arrives at the coffee shop before you do. He's always first. He is always listening to us. We don't have to convince him. We don't have to cajole him, to plead with him. We don't have to do things to make him, make ourselves acceptable to him so that he will hear us. He loves to hear us. And it's not because we're worthy. You think Israel is worthy when they're slaves in Egypt and they cry out to God and he hears them? Are they worthy? Not by any means. Or any other time they're in trouble? Not by any means. It's not because of who we are. It's because of who he is. It's not because we are worthy. It's because he is worthy. It's not because we're good. It's because he's good. And the basis, the foundation for our prayers, knowing that God hears us, is because that's the kind of God he is. He created us. He loves us. He loves interaction with us. He loves to hear us pray. And we can count on that. If we didn't believe that, we're wasting our time. This whole prayer vigil thing is a facade. It's a complete waste of time. But we believe when we pray, God hears us. But I think there's something else as well going on in God's hearing in this story of Lazarus. I've read this story, can't begin to tell you how many times Maybe a hundred times in my life. You know, I was a child, would read this story, and I would, you know, when we do uh, scripture memory, I always try to get away with quoting John eleven thirty five. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And my teachers say, You've used that three weeks in a row. You need to find something else. I know this story, but for some reason I had never seen the fact that in verse thirty three and in verses in verse thirty eight. John says Jesus comes to this scene and he's angry. Martha comes to him. She's weeping. The people around her are weeping and wailing and says Jesus gets angry. He gets troubled in his spirit. It's like, well, the word that's used here, it's also used to describe a horse snorting. You know, it's this sound, there's this, there's this troubling within his spirit, and he is angry. And then in verse 38, it says he arrives, at the, as he's going to the tomb, he's still angry. I'm scratching my head thinking, why is Jesus angry? I mean, is he upset because they're, they're mourning too much, they're, they're grieving too much? They shouldn't grieve like that because he is the author of life, and he's already told Martha that, you know, he, he, he's the resurrection and the life, and, and, they, and they shouldn't be grieving like that. I think sometimes... We sort of give sometimes the impression with each other that we shouldn't grieve when we face death because there's something better for the person who died. And, and that's true. There is something better. But it doesn't take away from the fact that we feel pain and hurt and grief and loss. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with our grief. So I don't think it's that. The more I researched it, the more I saw that scholar after scholar says their interpretation is that Jesus is angry about the damage that disease and death does to God's beloved creation. And I think specifically, Jesus is angry at the evil one. 
Because his intent and his purpose is destruction. And ultimately, his greatest weapon is death. He threatens us with death. And eventually, all of us are going to succumb to death. And Jesus standing there at the tomb of this beloved friend of his and seeing these people he loves weep and mourn and grieve. He, he, he has a sense in his spirit of the, of the destructive nature of evil and the evil one. And he's angry about it. This was not God's intent. This was not why God created people. And he sees what, what the, the presence of evil and sin and, and the purposes of the evil one are. Because every time the evil one puts temptation in front of us and makes it look pleasurable, which it does, or else it wouldn't be a temptation to us. And every time we give in to that, he rubs his hands and says, that's going to destroy them a little bit more, and I love it. And Jesus is angry about that. And what's his solution? He says to them, roll away that stone. And Martha, ever practical Martha says, "Uh, Jesus, that's going to smell. You really want to do that? Roll away the stone. And so they do. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And I love the translation. I think the New Living Translation says, and the dead man walked. That's a great phrase. The dead man walked. And how do we know that that Jesus has the power over the grave? There's a guy walking around them who was in a tomb for four days. And it strikes me that maybe this incident with Lazarus is sort of like a movie trailer. Because in a few weeks... There's going to be another tomb in a garden outside of Jerusalem in the shadow of three crosses. We're going to see the real movie unfolding. It's a precursor to who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. And there is something in me that says when Jesus, when Jesus comes face to face with evil and the destructiveness of it, He's saying, Father, I know you hear me, and not just you hear me, but you act upon it. And there is power in the prayers that we pray to our Father to do more than we could dream or imagine. I mean, think of a child sitting, crawling into their parents' lap and pouring out their heart to them. I'm so hurt, and, and this happened, and, and you know this problem. And the, and the parent says, I'm so glad you told me that. Don't you feel better that I heard you? Now go play. And they look at us and say, wait, aren't you going to do anything about it? That's why I'm really here. I'm glad you heard me. I'm glad that I could, I could tell you what happened. But what I really need is some help. And when we talk about God hearing us, it is not just, okay, God hears us. What a, what a lovely, grace-filled thing that God does. But there is power in God hearing us. And we pray to the God who can bring people out of tombs, who can heal the sick, who gives sight to the blind, who can transform lives from death and destruction to life and holiness. And I don't think there's any more profound image of that than 
This is a table of, of grace and power. This is a table about the cross and about the empty tomb. It's what God has done in the past and what God has promised to do in the future and what he's doing right now in the present. This is our God. And when Jesus says, Father, thank you that you hear me, it is thank you for the grace that you give to hear our prayers and thank you for the power of you at work in doing something about our prayers. Now, that doesn't mean that God does answers the prayers the way we want him to necessarily, It doesn't mean that when God is at work and that God can do more than we dream or imagine, that he does exactly what we ask him to do, but we believe God's at work. And we believe that God, there's power because we're praying to our Father who hears us when we pray. And God has been speaking to me over the last few days about settling in my prayers. It's important to pray about every little detail of our lives and we're encouraged to do that. We're invited to do that. But I think we also need to embrace some bigger prayers. There are lots of things going on in our lives, in our world, that quite frankly seem too big for our prayers. What difference is our prayers going, our prayers going to make? What difference are my prayers going to make about the persecuted church? Or about a famine? Or about any of the other problems, the violence that seems to be escalating in our nation and around the world. What difference do my prayers make? And the Father who hears us says, they make a big difference. And whether you see it or not, do you believe me enough that I'm at work to keep praying? It's because of who God is that we pray in thanksgiving. It's because of who God is that we keep praying and don't give up. It's because of who God is that we engage in these prayer vigils and coming to him and keep pouring out our hearts to him about our lives and other people's lives and this world because we believe the God who hears us is full of grace and power to do more than we could dream or imagine. As you think about things in your mind, is there something in your life, something in this world that God may be prompting you to engage in bigger prayers? Do we believe enough in him to keep praying? Father, we thank you that you hear us when we pray. We thank you that you you are full of grace and power and we trust you. As we come to this table today, open our eyes to who you are. We pray that your blessing will rest upon the bread and the cup that as we eat and drink, it will do so to your glory. And as an act of faith and trust in who you are, as the God who hears us always. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen.